Hello and welcome to Cloud Spotting. For those regular listeners of the show, you're of course acutely aware that we pride ourselves on the timely nature of our conversations, don't we, Sai? Absolutely. Let's let's just rephrase that. Just the irony of it. Let's what timely? Timely. Well, I mean, it's only been six weeks since Google Next yeah. in San Francisco, uh, but we thought it'd be a great time to take a quick look at a few of the announcements and some of the stories from the event. Um, so, Sai, uh, it's been a full three days since we recorded our last episode. I know, it's amazing. Yeah, so what, what fun-filled <laughs> activities have you had on the go for the last few days then? 72 hours of fun. <laughs> it's, been, it's been fantastic, it's the weekend. Oh, right, okay. So, <laughs> no, so things great. you can't share with our listeners. No, is exactly, that you're exactly. It's, it's, all, it's all private stuff. <laughs> <laughs> wow, okay. Yeah, let's introduce our guests. We have Luke and Tom from our Google team. Um, Guys, I'll let you introduce yourself for a minute, and then we can go straight into it. Yeah, sure. Uh, hey, guys. My name's Luke Carter. I'm a lead solutions architect within GCP at Rackspace. I've uh, been here just over six years now. Um, been across portfolio now, particularly specializing in GCP. Cool. Thanks, Luke. And Tom? Yeah, hi, everyone. I'm Tom Bottrell. I am a reliability engineer in our professional services team. I'm currently working with one of our large financial customers, helping them do some stuff on Google. And I've been at Rackspace for a bit under six years, <laughs> so constantly chasing after Duke's coattails. <laughs> <laughs> but Luke draws the things, but you do the things. Exactly, right. yeah. I'm the one who actually knows stuff. Luke. <laughs> <laughs> That's about right. Fantastic, fantastic. And I think I think this is a good point to to talk about from a uh, from a Google Next perspective, because Tom, we have a uh, a proud speaker here. How was how was the how was the show? How was the speak? Uh, the speech went well. I was terrified beforehand. <laughs> Woke up about half three in the morning in a massive panic over giving the speech. <laughs> Ended up not going back to sleep and doing a bit of a run through about five in the morning. Then went oh. off to breakfast. But actually, doing the speech was pretty good. My nerves just kind of melted away as soon as I got up on stage. Oh, fantastic. And yeah, I think the people who came along hopefully got something valuable out of it so so for the benefit of the listeners what was your what was your session on yeah it, it was about running microsoft sql server on compute engine uh, in a highly available manner oh cool although didn't, uh, correct me if i'm wrong i think there may have been an announcement about something yeah. similar i mean it was quite fun sitting through the day two keynote and seeing google say hey look at our great cloud sql for microsoft sql server products. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> Great, great. Thanks for telling me. Good. <laughs> in advance of the session, yeah. Hey, they, they did, though, give us an award. Oh, they did. They, they did, did indeed. Yes. Luke, what was the award for? Uh, yeah, it's for Migration Partner of the Year. So yes. one of the customers we work closely with called Eagle Eye. That's very cool. Uh, you, yeah, you did all the work with, it, with that particular customer as well. Yeah, yeah. I was the assigned architect on the, on the engagement. Um, and they're helping, well, we're helping slowly transition from a uh, virtualized environment into GCP. Very cool. Fantastic. There we go. Cool. Awesome. Sounds good. So I guess uh, this episode, we, we kind of focusing on the some of the key announcements at Google Next, uh, just bringing our listeners up to speed with what we've heard and... Uh, some of the cooler bits and pieces. You could say that. Because there were mucho, mucho announcements, weren't there? Oh, there were loads. There were loads. I think the three days were hectic days. What did you say, guys? Oh, definitely. Reaction-packed, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Including the parties, of course. Right. What, what part is we went there for the content? <laughs> oh, of course. Luke, maybe Luke. No. <laughs> uh, so, guys, let's let's kick it off. Um, I think one of the one of the biggest points that I'm always interested 
with Google and essentially what they've been doing around uh, serverless side of things. And there've been a few announcements around serverless components. What, yeah. would, you, what would you say was uh, was key and uh, kind of more informative and fun to sort of follow through? Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at cloud functions, Google have extended that quite a bit. You can now create VPC connectors so your cloud functions can interact with things in your VPC. Right. So so for, for the benefit of some of our listeners who are not as super technical, um, what would that mean for a business? How could they actually utilize that? And what's the benefit going to be for them? Well, let's say you have you know some things that are running in your VPC, some data processing stuff maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe you know even some things going back to uh, on-prem that you're instances in Google are interacting with. Mm -hmm. This means that you can use these serverless things in cloud functions to be able to provide a HTTP endpoint or some interaction with PubSub. Mm -hmm. And if you need to get some data from the things that are running within Compute Engine, you can do that pretty easily. You can just use private IPs within your VPC so you can make sure it's locked down in the outside world. So I imagine for a lot of um, things like financial customers, anybody with a lot of governance, that kind of thing, they're going to be really keen on being able to still utilize these service functions, which previously were always accessible publicly only, but actually utilize it within their environment. Certainly. And I think building from cloud functions, even more exciting announcement from Google is the uh, creation of Cloud Run, the introduction Mm. of Cloud Run, which basically cloud functions but you can bring your own container and run whatever code you want in there you're not just limited to go python that you are with cloud functions you can build it in a docker container you can run it as a serverless function and there's multiple options as well right so you can run it on gk if you want that little bit of extra control that opens a lot of uh, avenues for applications to run because a lot of customers or a lot of a lot of uh, organizations have held off on the adoption of serverless in part because they have custom code running mm-hmm. in languages which aren't typically supported under some yep. of these service platforms. But if you can have a stateless application and containerize it, then you yep. can run it as a serverless application. Yeah, Absolutely. I think as Luke said, being able to run it on your GKE cluster as well will cover off some requirements from the financial customers who, you know, even Cloud Functions has a public IP that you need to hit. So for even more control, mm-hmm. you can run it in your... GKE cluster, you've got the option of private GKE clusters, which have absolutely no private IPs. Oh, right. sorry, absolutely no public IPs, mm-hmm. even the master. So yeah, your financial customers can have as much control as they want. Uh, th- I think that's certainly something we're seeing more and more with large financial organizations pushing the cloud providers, whether it be Google, AWS, or, or Microsoft, or whatever, mm. into developing more of these uh, features which allow them to make the public cloud more private. Yep. And I think we have mentioned here, I mean, you mentioned GKE uh, there, Luke, but let's let's take a d- bit more deeper. Uh, I guess there's a new API that's been announced, isn't it, with, to work with it? I think, was it a Knative? It's called. Uh, so what do you guys know about Knative? What can you tell us? Well, so Knative is the thing that Cloud Run's basically built on top of, and it allows you, it, it's a component that you deploy to Kubernetes mm-hmm. wherever you're running Kubernetes. And it allows you to deploy these serverless functions on your own Kubernetes clusters. Right. Oh, right. Even if it's not an actual Google GKE cluster or Google on-prem, literally, as long as it's running native Kubernetes, that's all you need. Yep. It's and fantastic. then yep. That is very cool. It, this, this is Google's approach, though. They build these open source products, so things like Kubernetes, Knative, and then they just 
apply their own googliness to it to have the, uh, the product <laughs> they, they offer the platform. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. They they give you these options so you can run your applications wherever you want, even if it isn't necessarily on Google Cloud Platform. That's fantastic. That's amazing because it, it brings across the whole um, serverless, but it also includes the whole hybrid architecture because you no longer now have to depend just on server. That's a good point to talk about Anthos. It's, it's the biggest announcement, I think, isn't it? Yeah, definitely the biggest at Google. It was uh, heavily talked about on the first day, uh, in particular GKE or now GKE on-prem, um, and even pushing uh, to extend to AWS and Azure. So uh, I'm, I'm just thinking about it, uh, and we all talk about hybrid as a step to move to the cloud, mm-hmm. but it sounds like Google is bringing it as a step to, to combine more uh, on-prem setup. So... Uh, what what's driven this in your point of view? What do you think? I think Google have realized the same thing we have, that you know, one cloud provider doesn't fit all for everyone. Some cloud providers offer benefits that maybe other cloud providers aren't quite as good at. Mm-hmm. I think We're Google a big are, fan of that on cloud spotting. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I think Google are realizing that and you know, they're providing the options for you to run your workloads everywhere. They obviously hope you're going to use Google for a lot of it, but if you <laughs> if you have reasons to use AWS or Azure, they're not going to stop you from doing that. They're going to try and make it as easy as possible. Mm-hmm. Or, or even on-prem. Or even on-prem There's yeah. obviously some regulatory requirements where you can't move stuff out of the data center and sure. you get that hybrid approach. Mm-hmm, sure. And the open source kind of nature of Kubernetes and um, giving an easy ecosystem, if you like, to manage everything across on-prem and multiple clouds is the approach they've taken. Fantastic. And so just maybe it's a silly question, but does that work on the independent cloud vendor's own Kubernetes engine? Or does it have to be like a something like GKE on somewhere else or GKE on-prem? So they haven't announced the integrations with AWS. Or sorry, they haven't launched the integrations on AWS and Azure. I think their idea is that it will run on AKS or the Azure equivalent. The Azure. That's that's amazing. That changes the whole the game of having multiple clouds and and essentially, our, we love Kubernetes anyways in, in this podcast. Yeah, so it's a, I mean it's fascinating the way that we see um, all of the cloud providers moving towards that hybrid model, as you mm-hmm. say. So and it, and it's kind of bi-directional, isn't it? Because we look at what they're doing there with Anthos. Uh, yep. becoming available on-prem. You've seen AWS using Outpost. That's and right. then in the other direction, you've got VMware Cloud on AWS. Um, Azure, they announced something very similar. And it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, in a number of months or years, we'll start to see the same thing for Google as well. We're just encouraging customers to be able to put the workload where they need to, but ultimately making it the easiest, simplest, frictionless path to getting them into the cloud at the end of the day. So where do we think, I mean, what, what other features does Anthos actually provide? Um, what are we actually gaining in terms of benefit other than the ability to you know, do things in a, in a googly way but in, in the data center down the road? I think we need to start trademarking these terms. We definitely know. do. Googly so. way. Ooh, fantastic. <laughs> like googly eyes. Googly eyes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, the traffic director for one, one of the components of Anthos and that basically is essentially a way to configure Istio policies. So if you don't know what Istio is, it's thing that you can deploy to Kubernetes that mm-hmm. allows you to manage things like services. It'll handle the routing between right. pods for you. And, and it's, it, open. And it's su- open. And super cool. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> we like open. Two key points there. I oh, think. yeah. 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 <laughs> super yeah. cool being the most important one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> o- open source and you can deploy it anywhere. 
But essentially, traffic director is an abstraction of Istio that will allow you to configure those traffic policies across all of your Kubernetes clusters and will actually direct traffic to whichever uh, whichever cluster mm -hmm. it's on, whether that's on-prem or in right. another cloud provider. Mm -hmm. So you essentially then end up with one endpoint that would be a Google IP, but then that can direct you off to workloads running in AWS or Azure on-premise. That's that amazing. Cool. So that's yeah, amazing. You, you have a single point of control or a single point of ingress for all of your workloads, regardless of where they're hosted. Yep. I think high, higher level in terms of Istio across all of the platforms as well, there's three key components in terms of security, observability, um, and then uh, connecting and traffic management, as Tom mentioned. Um, there was uh, Auto Trader that gave a talk at the right. next conference talking about how they'd spent months trying to integrate uh, their own managed encryption between services east and west, and they'd struggled and the project failed. Right. And they started talking about Istio and how within a few days, or I think it was an hour's, um, they'd installed the sidecar proxies and had already started using MTLS encryption between containers. So wow. it's just so easy to use on-prem or in your cloud of choice. Yeah, I think I think that the the key word here, and you mentioned again, Luke, open source. The fact that it's it's flexible and it it works with multiple clouds, it reduces the the hassle for most end users and consumers to to sort of think about, oh well, do I have to change everything to meet this new. Um, methodology and process. Yeah, and even as you move from, say, monolith and you start breaking things apart and you move to a microservices model, you then have the challenge of tens, hundreds of microservices that communicate. You then open up more challenges, right, in terms of how do I monitor, how do I know where something right. breaks. Istio gives you that as well in terms of uh, a way to trace and debug and look at microservices that might be the bottleneck. True. There's even parts in that ecosystem, so things like the Kiali dashboard that will map out all of your microservices um, and all of that, again, is super easy to use. Once you've installed it, there's bits that you can install and configure and bits that you may not need. Mm -hmm. That was one of the key takeaways I took from um, AutoTrader as well, that even Istio itself as an it's ecosystem, there's so many bits that you can use and there's so many bits that they didn't even need to use. Absolutely. Um, so you can pick and, and choose. It just kind of uh, resounds the same thing that we keep talking about to customers. Uh, and just flashback, going back a few years, when we were talking to customers about moving from physical service to VMware, it's always been the question of, hey, will I be able to manage it? Will I be able to monitor it like I'm doing mm -hmm. it? And the question keeps coming back, now moving from a VM-type situation to a microservices-type situation and then to containers. The question always remains the same. How do I manage this? It's just now becoming a sprawl yep. of resources. And, and to your point there, having a, a solution where it doesn't matter whether you're on Google or on other cloud vendors or on your own platform, gives you that same level of management mm -hmm. and monitoring kind of it's a huge bonus here and it's a huge way to run it's, this. It's hard enough as it is to um, manage, maintain, monitor a set of microservices when they're in one place, you know, where you've got a bunch of containers running ultimately probably on the same handful of machines or, sure. you know, same pool of machines. As soon as you start to introduce the concept of hybrid cloud, the level of complexity there just goes through the roof because you're probably going to be in a traditional fashion, you know, you've got some form of VPN or yeah. interconnect or whatever, and you're monitoring a tunnel of traffic and probably trying to proxy everything or whatever. And that just adds a whole layer of complexity and a, potentially a bunch of single points of failure as well. But if you can effectively do MTLS tunneling between your um, different instances, but it's yeah. all managed within Istio itself, 
that's quite impressive and the, just the flexibility and the, and the yeah. you know the additional nights of sleep that you can get and things like that, <laughs> I think will be massive. Or, or not sleep that is yeah because <laughs> yeah. you're focusing on other problems um, not, not necessarily Google it though <laughs> that could be anything else uh, but no, I think definitely the, the 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 concept is really good. I mean, from from your perspective, guys, uh, Luke and Tom, you, you you speak to customers as well about this. How much do you think this will be an impact for 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 end users and for customers? I mean, theoretically, we've we've heard what Google said. You've heard AutoTrader as one component. I mean, AutoTrader is a, is a big organization uh, for what they do. But does that still fit for smaller orgs? I mean, does it have to be enterprise to to use this? Yeah, I, I think with Anthos at the moment, it's really targeted towards those enterprises, especially if you look at the pricing that they've come out with. Right. Um, but, you know, hopefully as it matures a few months down the line, mm-hmm. pricing gets reduced, more competition comes in, and hopefully that will open up the SMB market as well. Yeah. E- even for SMBs, if the choice is said is Greenfield, there's no technical debt, Kubernetes is the platform of choice. Even when you're starting that small, Anthos probably wouldn't be the right use case in, mm. in the sense that you'd pick Kubernetes, you'd pick your cloud of choice, deploy that native Kubernetes service, and as you organically grew and maybe a multi-cloud strategy came into the picture, then Anthos would, would be a better fit, both technically and commercially. Makes sense, makes sense. I guess I guess the idea is there, so it's it's ticket birth. So I guess the, the point is, as we go through the through the months, we can probably see it be, be more useful and be more adaptable. It sounds like adopting Anthos wouldn't necessarily be a particularly difficult task if you're already running mm-hmm. Kubernetes in a, in a native fashion or on GKE. Um, so the control plane would all be through Google if you're using Anthos, which is a nice feature in that you can use that control plane to deploy across all of the clouds. So there'd be, a, I guess, some um, integration steps if you were to move from a native GK service to Anthos. Right. But it's not going to be as painful as going from a... Uh, prior platform like VMware or somewhere else where you have mm-hmm. to fundamentally make significant changes. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. No, that makes sense. So a, a lot of things we talk about here, we talk about Kubernetes, we talk about the whole management and monitoring piece. Uh, I think one thing that's been kind of always going on with Google and we hear a lot about, especially when we go to the Google uh, training courses, etc. With the example I remember off the top of my head was about the whole, the, the taxis and, and the system of machine learning using finding out which taxis where it all screams ai and ml so guys what's new in ai and ml world from google yeah google are really investing on the ai side and i think they're really trying to make a point of differentiation for their cloud Uh, they've they had auto ml before and they've kind of merged it into what they're calling the ai platform okay and there are a few features in there such as uh, automated ways of training your data automated ways of labeling your data right so a lot of things to remove some of the complexity from machine learning mm. and hopefully you know allowing people who haven't spent years studying to be data scientists to use some of these technologies for their own businesses absolutely i mean we we've seen we've, we talked about machine learning a lot in yeah. the previous one well funnily enough i was having a conversation just a couple of days ago and you know there's um when you go down this route of data science you have a baseline level that most people could achieve um, because they can spin up, a, you know, using a cloud provider, some form of AI, ML uh, platform. They can drop data into it. They can start to make a bit of guesswork in there. But then the next layer of that is definitely the area where 
you need to have some level of industry expertise or understand what it is that you're mm -hmm. trying to extract from the data to then do something with it. So it sounds like they're trying to almost move Google a little bit in, the, in that direction for people who don't necessarily have that level of skill that a, that a true data scientist does. Yeah, I think there's still going to be, you know, things like picking the features that you need to look at and things like that. I think what Google are really trying to do is removing some of the code complexity from it. So if you look at TensorFlow, for mm -hmm. instance, yep. it does remove a lot of the complexity from you in terms of the mathematical models you're using and things like that. It's still a pretty hard thing to learn in and of itself mm -hmm. just because there is a lot of complexity in there. Mm -hmm. I think the services that Google are creating are to reduce that barrier even more so mm -hmm. you don't have to learn those TensorFlow libraries. Yeah, lowering that barrier to entry, isn't it? Yep. So this artificial intelligence, this machine learning stuff, ultimately, it all depends on data. So what what kind of announcements were there in the data space that, that would have relevance as well? And what did we think was most interesting? Uh, so Data Fusion was a cool announcement in terms of um, the Cask open source project and Google acquiring a company to offer that as a service. So what so. what is Cask then? Ooh, good question. So if, if you know Dataflow, Dataflow is an ETL solution for doing ETL. <laughs> it's based on the Apache Beam product, but it requires quite a bit of knowledge of Java or Python to be able to write your pipelines in Dataflow. Datafusion is essentially a graphical way of building those pipelines. And I think Google are actually calling it a no-code solution for building data pipelines. That's, yeah. a, that's a brave description. So yeah, it's effectively an enterprise data integration service. So you, it gets you to the stage where you can drag and drop or use enterprise um, sources of data, but not necessarily have to be the expert like Tom was saying with Dataflow, where you have to write Apache Beam pipelines and know watermarks and event window in and uh, quite extreme or um, complicated code to be able to get to that point to manage a ingest and data pipeline. Okay. Right. Wow. That's Very cool. So, I mean, what, what does this actually mean for businesses then if, uh, if they're then starting to adopt this? I mean, this allows businesses to get their data into some of the Google services, so things like BigQuery and Bigtable. Mm -hmm. They can start doing a lot of the analytical work that they want to, mm -hmm. introduce them into their ML models if they're looking at using some of the AI tools as well. Mm -hmm. So it's a, a really good way of getting the data into Google into some of the great analytical platforms in Google without having to write a lot of code to do it. Right. And so you can actually start utilizing some of the existing resources, your existing data resources within your teams to do the, the latter phases as opposed mm -hmm. to having to have the skills necessary to do the earlier phases in that kind of ETL process. Exactly. That's, that's big though, because I can imagine the amount of, number of, amount of hours that companies spend in training their staff on data mining and ETLs. Yeah, or sometimes we even see it's where a lot of projects fail before they've even started because they true. can't find the resource or the skills or it delays a project because you're looking for that expert. So it's kind of given a happy medium of giving you the option of uh, data flow, but also using data fusion to plug some of those gaps where Perfect. you can um, ingest your data and get more insight from it. Perfect. And as you know, I'm always pro SMB. I think this is a great step for SMB businesses because mm -hmm. even though you're not enterprise, there are a lot of companies out there that still live and thrive on data. Yep. This is huge. And growing. And growing, indeed. Okay, well, I mean, that's been fascinating. I think that's uh, that's probably a good opportunity now for us to wrap up, I think. Yeah, um, I think so. 
we don't going to go super super deep dive because quite frankly i'm on the edges of what i'm understanding right now so oh yeah <laughs> um right well thank you very much gents for joining us today um now if anybody wanted to stalk you online um <laughs> how might they follow you or uh tom uh, where might they be able to catch a recording of your session? Yeah, so my session is on YouTube. Somewhere. Well, hey. <laughs> somewhere it's, on the, the uh, it's on the Google Cloud channel. They've got a playlist for all of the next 19 uh, recordings. Excellent. Sadly, you don't get to see me. You only get to see my slides. But you do get to hear me even more. So. <laughs> totally worth it. <laughs> and Luke? Uh, for me, it would be LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Luke Carter. Luke. Lovely. Luke J. Carter. Fantastic. Thank you very much. And we'll do that. We'll uh, yeah. So we'll we'll post those links in in, uh, in the notes so uh, our listeners can get access to those. Uh, and as as usual, as normal, guys, if you want to get get in touch with us, uh, reach us on, we can reach us on Twitter at Spotting Clouds is our Twitter handle, or you can go to our website, which is go.ratspace.com/slash/cloudspotting. Um, and with that, I wish you all a good day. Mm-hmm.